power on. Okay, yes. We are bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no? See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. And when I was at Findhorn, I met this extraordinary English tree expert, who had devoted his life to saving trees. Just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. See, actually for two or three years now, Chiquita and I have had this very unpleasant feeling that we really should get out. And we really should feel like Jews in Germany in the late 30s. Get out of here. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. See, I think it's quite possible that the 1960s represented the last burst of the human being before he was extinguished, and that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now, and that from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing, and there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being with feelings and thoughts, and that history and memory are right now being erased, and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. 
the tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! Simply the best, like Tina Turner said, better than all the rest, baby. It is the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sob Zoo, the rated R radio star here for if you are bored. Well, please <laughs> allow me to entertain you as I inform you. And uh, speaking of entertainment and uh, informing, you may have noticed in the past week or so that suddenly these weird episodes started showing up in your Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Those weird episodes might be called the user podcast. Uh, of course, user is an acronym. It stands for unexpected system error. And boy, does our opening audio sound a lot like the dream of being an unexpected system error. Now, what does all of this mean? Well, user podcast very quickly before we get into our foreplay, we get into our little stories. And certainly there are some things to talk about here and we've got all kinds of subjects to get into in your wonderful two hour format. I got to say folks, especially in the telegram group. And if you want to join the sovereign tech telegram group link is in the show notes all over the place. You can't miss it, baby. I got to tell you, I am honored, honored by everyone. Basically vindicating my decision of getting rid of the paywall and saying, you know, stallion really should have never been behind the paywall. Your content, you know, we want it out there. It needs to be out there. And you know what? Maybe a couple people have dropped their, uh, uh, their patronage, you know, and again, those can be for varying reasons that could have nothing to do with the fact that I made thousands of hours of sovereign tech available now totally for free. And that ain't changing. Okay. It's not a limited time deal. All right. The, the, all, every Q and a that I've done, every special that I've done, all that it's all now in the podcast feed and the feed didn't have to change or anything. Yep. We're not rocking Zomia one anymore. Anyway, all of these changes that I made where I just open everything up that way you have the capability again, it's open and you have the ability to put it in your podcast app of choice. Uh, the, the, the resounding, you know, agreement with me doing that. I am so honored. I'll say that much now back to user podcast. So this was one of the things when I was, uh, uh, this is back when Patreon was, was more of the, the deal, uh, where you can set different tiers of what episodes people can get access to. Now, user podcast was one of the premier shows that I had set up where you had to be at, at least at the $5 level. Well, I ended up going back and since I have now, there's one episode that'll have come out just before this episode of Sovereign Tech was released, which be, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on describing this because you can just go and listen to the episodes to figure it out. Uh, it'll look like the fifth episode, but there's no real numbering unless it's a series of, of a subject within user podcasts, which will happen often. There's no real uh, numbering of them, even though there's five episodes done so far. I have number six in the can uh, and number seven coming up hot right behind that. Uh, this is this is a show that takes a lot of time to put together because I am making sure whatever subject that it ends up covering and it and it really it came out of a long time sovereign tech listener and someone I consider uh, now a dear friend. Uh, he basically said to me, 
Brian, you should do, you know, 15 minute episodes of basically what you believe on things or, you know, your, your, your perspective on certain things that, that probably stand outside of the norm. Now, of course, as longtime listeners know, that's probably true for just about everything as far as my perspective is being outside of the norm. But that's really the impetus for starting the user podcast. And because, you know, I like to think that it's getting at, if not the reality of the situation, certainly the possibilities of whatever subject or whatever historical scenario, whatever, you know, situation one finds themselves discussing, exploring in, etc. Okay. So I implore you to check out this show. I will be doing the, I will not charge for these episodes. Uh, this is stuff that I always planned on eventually having out for free. Um, but I, that are definitely out now for free. Um, and I, you know, I've had other people tell me it's, it's literally the best work I've ever done in my 10 years in broadcasting are the episodes of the user podcast. And I'm really honored by that. Um, but please do check it out. Like I said, episode five just dropped. It is a show where admittedly I'll get a little, I don't, I don't get hot and bothered like I do on sovereign tech. I keep it very calm on that show, but I will definitely, you know, I, I will fly the Concord into crazy town in that show, uh, now and again. So, and apparently a lot of you enjoy that. So, <laughs> so if you do, you're going to want to listen to it. Uh, but just had a great time putting together episode five, uh, as well as episode six and seven, uh, which those will be coming out pretty shortly. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's a show that really, you got to understand that show takes, even though they're only, and they're short. They're only anywhere between 15. I keep them under 30 minutes. They're anywhere from 15 to 27, 28 minutes, something like that. And that's on purpose. Okay. But putting together that 15 minutes uh, or 20 minutes, whatever of, of information takes an incredible amount of time. In fact, it takes longer than it does to put together, frankly, an episode of sovereign tech, if you'd believe it or not. Uh, because I write out the entire script. It's completely scripted. I'm not just, you know, flapping my yap like I do on sovereign tech or anything. Um, I mean, it, it, it's again, this is full production. Uh, so I remastered and, and they were genuinely remastered as, and I went back and, you know, did a remixing everything, uh, fixed some stuff and, and added things in of the first four episodes. And then again, episode five, uh, just released today. So if you've never heard those, and a lot of you probably haven't, because there are thousands of thousands of you, and I know there weren't thousands of thousands of you subscribed at the $5 level on Patreon to be able to get access to them. So if you've never heard these, uh, I think you're in for a treat. I think you're going to enjoy it and they are going to come out on a fairly regular schedule. Uh, that is definitely the plan. Now, all of that said, let's get into the foreplay and you know, well, I guess we'll get the actual bit of news out of the way. And that is uh, just a couple days after this is getting released, just a couple days previous Ubuntu 2004 finally came out the, the final full version is available. And speaking of imploring people to download something, I implore you to download this and install it and use it. We've talked about version 2004 of Ubuntu, uh, of the OS coming out for a while now. And the reason that I keep promoting it and, and I'm bringing it up again, because now it's available, you know, in fact, we're going to talk about Amazon, Amazon in a second here. Are, are you like me in that 
and, and really you can in the telegram group or however you want to get in touch with me. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of ways BBS at sovereign or no, actually you want to use questions at sovereign um, that's the, that's the email address that, that you can send in questions to. And we could talk about it, but I don't know if you're like me, I hate, and I know it's all part of a giant advertising marketing machine. I know exactly how it works. I work in PR people. You understand? I get so annoyed when I O nine, I mean, that really I just, I could just stop there. <laughs> I get so annoyed. I O nine or Gizmodo. And uh, yes, I say Gizmodo. Um, I get so annoyed when any of these sites or I mean, it could be anything. Doesn't have to be those where they will say, Oh, check out this game or check out this book. That's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and they don't usually tell you in the headline that it's not coming out for six months. And it's like, no, you know what? If it's so fucking great, Hey, how do you even know that six months out? But the other part is no, tell me when I can buy it. Okay. Even, or they'll do it even like a month in advance. Right. Which then I understand how maybe they have like a early access to a book. They'll do it. Like, you know, the best things coming out in may no fucking tell me when it's coming out in may I'm not going to pre-order. I am not going to pre-order you. I, do you hear me? I am not going to pre-order because I don't believe that your shit will come out. I don't believe it until you can cross my palm with silver. Well, that's bad. <laughs> but until I can hold it or download it or whatever, I'd, I don't want to put the money down. I just don't. I mean, maybe there's a few things that I would ever pre-order ahead of time, but I mean, I've really, oh man, this is a whole other conversation I could get into, even with companies that you'd think you could trust, right? Like, uh, it was Astra House who made the, the free, right? Um, you know, they made a very successful product, a good product. And then, you know, two, three years ago, it feels like I pre-ordered the traveler and where the fuck is that thing? And don't tell me all oh, but COVID-19. Ah, I was supposed to have it last June. They've had plenty of time and they keep, they kept delaying it, kept delaying it. Now, I mean, they, they basically got a, a blessing in disguise and I hate to say that, but they got a blessing in disguise with COVID-19 because now they can make all the fucking excuses in the world. Some very real that yes, you know, I mean, things are shut down. I'm, I'm not saying it's not real, but I mean, now they could just, you know, they could probably, they could milk this for another couple of years. Okay. Now look, look, don't, don't, don't confuse me. There are valid scenarios. Okay. Where people don't need to be going to the factory and whatever else right now. I'm not, don't confuse me, but you know, as well as I do that companies are going to fucking take advantage of this. So anyway, I just like to, when something is fine, I mean, I'll, I'll let you know maybe ahead of time, but when something's finally out, I'd like to remind you. And that's the thing is that I would, I'm fine. If a company wants to let you know, Hey, this is coming in May. You might want to plan for it. But then when it comes out, Hey, fucking remind me. Cause I probably forgot. And again, I'm not going to put the pre-order money down, kiss my ass. You know, unfortunately for everyone here, Ubuntu uh, 2004 is totally free. Now real quick, then we want to talk about companies taking advantage. Okay. Real quick, Ubuntu 2004 is an important release because it's what's known as an LTS release, which is a long time support. Okay. Uh, or long-term support. That means that it will get security updates and support from canonical who develop the Ubuntu OS. Uh, they'll get support for five years, but 
2004 is actually an extended LTS release, which means you're going to get security updates and canonical will help you troubleshoot if needed for the next 10 years, not just five, 10 years. So if you just built yourself a sweet machine, okay. And you want an operating system, that's not going to go through all the horse shit that windows 10 is going through, or I, I, I don't even dare say right now, cause we know it's been going through a bunch of crap for ever since it came out. You want to get Ubuntu 20.04. Okay. I mean, it's just, you know, Ubuntu is still, I think for most people, more or less the, the top Linux distro, just go for it. It's that time. Um, I mean, it really, really is. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get into it in this episode. It probably would have made sense to do so, but I, you know, I've gotten questions in for the Q and a segment of the show to discuss, you know, like what's the best Linux, uh, hardware, what's the best best Linux laptop and desktop. I will tell you there's a Linux laptop that has been in the show notes for quite some time. Uh, it's called the privacy beast and you can find that there, but we'll get into that, uh, in a future episode. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. Maybe after you've checked out Ubuntu 2004 and you're just like, holy shit, this is my future. If I'm going to have a computer in my life, if anyway, <laughs> let's get into uh, a couple other little stories here. So, Actually, they're not even like, that was really the only story. The rest of this isn't really a story. The sort of topics I want to bring up things that I've, I've kind of come to realize. And also our story of the week, when we get to that is really going to be a topic as well, but let's get into it. Amazon. I have noticed now, again, I have raised the red flag about Amazon long before any other tech journalists even bothered to pay attention to the company as if somehow, you know, I mean, like it's like they didn't even realize it was a tech giant. And I have been saying since the very, basically the very first episode of sovereign tech, no, 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 you don't understand. Amazon is the only tech giant. Everybody else is basically David to its Goliath. And well, that ended up becoming, I think now most tech journalists realized that, but I was well ahead of the curve as usual, similar to what we talked about in the last episode of sovereign tech about now, suddenly news organizations are realizing, holy shit, we are in a cyberpunk dystopia. Oh, gee, I, 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 I guess you didn't listen to sovereign tech, which of course they don't now, admittedly today. And particularly when people are still stuck at home, you know, and, or don't just don't want to go to the store or whatever, you know, people are still ordering from Amazon. It almost feels like a necessary evil. Uh, I think that the, that's, there is no such thing uh, as a necessary evil, but it feels like one. I understand that. I still order some things from Amazon. Amazon has been very, very smart in making some things only available on Amazon. I mean, again, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and a lot of us all kind of come to the same conclusion. Okay. We'll stop using Amazon. We'll stop using Amazon, blah, 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 blah. But then when we get to talking about audible, even though, yep, there's audiobookbay.nl, you know, there's, there's places where you can get some of that stuff. Sometimes it's months before, you know, a book that's only available on audible will show up on, shall we say the, the public library <laughs> that, you, that you might be able to download from. Um, if you take my meaning on that. Okay. So you know, when we bring up audible, which is owned by Amazon, then it's like, uh, shit, right? <laughs> because we're not exactly going to stop reading. I mean, readings is, 
if anything, reading, especially long form books is more important today than it's ever been. Now, all of that said, I have to say I have come to the realization because again, I mean, there, there are times where I still order from Amazon, uh, and, and I still go for, for, I mean, sometimes like there's, there's deals on there that, that are just mind boggling. I mean, that they are so inexpensive, you know, but that's actually uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of people now, because what's happening is, is Amazon is having pretty widespread delays and a lack of precision in saying in, in their shipping, meaning sometimes like actually there's books I was looking at, uh, of ordering on Amazon and I'm doing that because, well, a, you know, that I, I scan them. In fact, I made a pretty amazing book called 2020 visions from, uh, from 1980, uh, actually no, it was from earlier in 1974 or something like that by a lot of science fiction authors. And they were basically, it's, it's their little predictions and short stories on the future. It's a hell of a read, a very expensive book to buy, uh, normally, but, uh, I've made it available totally for free in the telegram group if you want to check it out. But anyway, you know, I get my hands on books for this very reason. I get them professionally scanned and whatever. I mean, people know, know, the, know that I do this, uh, and it's usually rare out of print books. Obviously if it's available as a Kindle book already or something along those lines, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to, you know, forward the cost, uh, or front the cost of getting them turned into a, into an ebook when they already exist as one. That's just stupid. Um, but anyway, so, you know, these rare books, I, I like to do this sort of thing. Now there are a lot of books and I mean, look, this is true for my own books. They're only available basically on Amazon. Okay. Now some people might've put them up on torrent sites. I mean the public library, sorry. Uh, you know, and, and, and great. Okay. And I don't care, but let's be clear here. There's a lot of books that are just only available on Amazon. That's where you have to buy them. Just like, I mean, with Blu-rays, Disney and Amazon have an exclusive deal where, I mean, you might be able to buy them, you know, secondhand on eBay. Sure. But they have an exclusive deal where if you want Blu-rays of certain Disney movies, the only place you can buy them, you can't go to Walmart. I mean, it's just impossible for them to be at Walmart. You have to buy them on Amazon. Okay. Amazon's been very intelligent in setting up this deal. So there's reasons that I would look for this, but anyway, looking at some of the books that I want to get my hands on, there is even new books that maybe don't have an ebook version or whatever, but again, they're only available through Amazon. They have like a, a, a shipping time of not, and I don't mean a delivery time. I mean, they won't ship for five days. Now here's the thing. Amazon, I think really dominated and they knew what they were doing. They really dominated because, I mean, they got to the point, what was it? Was it Amazon now where they, they were getting stuff to people like in cities inside of 30 minutes. Unbelievable. But they were, they were getting to the point where, you know, ordering on Amazon was you'd have it next day or it, with prime, you get at least a couple days, whatever you'd get it very quickly and you could count on it. You, I mean, nine times out of 10, you'd get it when they say you were going to get it. I've certainly experienced where they said it would be at the house by 8 PM. And then they're like, well, there's a delay. It won't be here till tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That happens of course, but it was, it was very rare that that would occur. So the immediacy of getting things from Amazon in conjunction with having, you know, basically a carte blanche return program, which there's ways to take advantage of that, but that's another story. Uh, you know, 
with that, like, that's why I think, I mean, and there's the prices too, but even if Amazon products or products available on Amazon and what on Amazon, what on Amazon isn't Amazon, we don't know anymore, you know I mean? Cause they don't always announce what companies they own or that they have exclusive deals with, et cetera. But anyway, you know, even if something costs more on Amazon, because you were going to get it so quickly, you more or less paid the Amazon tax, you know, say with prime or just whatever the extra cost was not to say that that's technically a tax, but for lack of a better phrase, we'll, we'll run with it. That's not true anymore. It's very interesting. A couple things aren't true. So I have noticed because again, a lot of people, they don't want to wait for Amazon or Amazon's out of stock or whatever. And so now they're going to, I don't know, what are some of these other ones? Box.com or Jet? I, I, I don't know, some of them. Uh, one of my favorite old-fashioned, I mean, it's not old-fashioned. It was actually pretty advanced for its day. But uh, one of my favorite sites was uh, actually um, uh, Newegg. Now, anybody that spent a lot of time building their own desktops is probably familiar with Newegg.com. I mean, and, and they're not a sponsor, folks. Uh, I mean, I'd be honored to have them as one, but, you know, right now they're not. Um, but I was like, you know, well, let's look there. Like I was looking for some M discs, right? These are the discs that are available as either Blu-ray or DVD that can last supposedly a thousand years. And well, in a thousand years, I'll let the M disc association know, uh, and maybe I'll try and get my money back, then. <laughs> but, <laughs> which might be, I might be able to, if I bought it in Bitcoin, cause that'll probably be around in a thousand years along with M discs. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> so, um, so I was looking at it and I mean, the, the M discs on Newegg, they weren't just cheaper. They were dramatically cheaper than what was available on Amazon. And I started looking at some other things on Newegg as well. And I was just like, holy shit. You know, the, 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 I mean, these, these prices are insane compared to what Amazon had. And we're comparing products that I would regularly get, you know, before COVID-19 occurred. Right. So it's not like somehow Amazon or, you know, the market is jacking up the prices or something. Um, no, these are just insanely cheaper. Now, I mean, I guess I don't know if what new eggs prices were a year ago for some of this stuff. So, you know, there might be a shift there, but basically my point is, and then, you know, when I, when I went through looking at the shipping process and everything, new egg said, yeah, sure. You know, we'll have it to you in, you know, in however many days and, you know, and they, they guaranteed it. Uh, and it was pretty quick. I think it was like three or four days and I, I did end up getting them that quickly. Um, the amazing, so the point that I'm getting at here is that Amazon is no longer the cheapest. And also they are, I mean, like the, the, the speed of shipping, even though I've seen where some things have returned to where they might show up overnight, you know, they might show up next day or something like that. The, the shipping is such a roll of the dice and, and I'm look, I'm not complaining. I, I grew up at a time where, you know, you, you were, you were regularly told anything that you ordered. I mean, you'd have to order it via the mail, snail mail, not even email. Okay. And you know, that'd probably take a week to get to whatever part of the country that it needed to, you know, your order form that you send in the mail. And then it was four to six weeks beyond that. I get how fucking amazing it is that shit can even show up within a week. Okay. Let alone two days. <laughs> I understand. But I mean, admittedly, there's some things I've ordered on Amazon that I've been waiting a month for, 
you know, and, 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 and you can see it when you do it. Like there are, they, they put lead times in what you order on Amazon right now, right? Where maybe you'll get it, you know, by, or, you know, we're going to, we're going to put in a, a conjectural date, uh, just in case there's some kind of delay and, and they will, there, there's plenty of things that I see that are listed yet. Yeah, we're not going to ship it. Uh, or you might not get it until like May 30th or something, right? It's happening. So bottom line being is that the two major advantages that Amazon had that fast shipping and precise shipping along with having the lowest prices, as it were, those are no longer true. And this is the first time I, cause I know, and we talked about it, you know, in, in, in one of the episodes we were more specifically talking about COVID-19, um, we were talking about how, you know, Amazonification, right? That that's what everybody was saying is that there's the Amazonification of everything. And that Amazon is now finally being looked at as the good guy, uh, you know, within everybody having to stay home and not going to in stores being closed and blah, 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 or some stores anyway. Um, actually I kind of find it the opposite of all things. I, I find it a bit of the opposite that no, this is the first time where I feel like Amazon's actually losing. They're losing market share. They're not, I mean, you could say that people are just copying Amazon's style and maybe there's some truth to that. And that could be quantified or qualified as an Amazonification, but oh no, no, there, there are companies who are doing, I mean, overstock all kinds of companies that are doing wild, wild business out of this whole scenario. Um, and they're, you know, many of them, I mean, they're stealing customers from Amazon and that, that is an amazing thing. Now I'm not saying that this is going to stick. Okay. But we are coming out of COVID-19. We are entering, let's just say it as we've said it before on the show, we're entering very interesting times. And I do feel like that while things will sooner or later level off and come to come back to a certain degree of normalcy, certain degree. I mean, look, I've seen some horror stories from, you know, where there's uh oh man, just join the sovereign tech telegram group and you can see some of the horror stories getting shared there. Uh, it's insane that have to do with contact tracing and other things. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit, you know, when we get into our story of the week, I think, but, or some of that, not, not directly those, those instances, but anyway, overall things will go back to what, appears to be normal, even though there'll be some newer elements to it. But those new elements, I'm not going to say that they're all going to be positive. Most of them likely not, but some of them, I, I do wonder what's going to come of this. We, uh, we'll, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. Anyway, I will be right back. Uh, we had some other stuff to talk about that had to do with zoom cocktail hours. I don't know if I want to get into that right now, but we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5.
the main story. It is time for the main story, baby. And like I said at the top of the show, I've really got a topic that I want to talk about. And it's something I've actually been meaning to talk about for, for quite a while. Um, you know, if you go on Twitter, I don't recommend it, but if you do, and, and I am on Twitter and I share things on Twitter and there's points where I share quotes, you know, I share the show. I mean, you know, I am, I am in ways active on Twitter. Uh, admittedly there are, uh, sites or news sources that I regularly check out, um, on Twitter. They, I mean, <laughs> they more or less all have to do with, uh, uh, gaming journalism. Like I go to Nintendo life or Nintendo everything or whatever, you know, and I, and I keep an eye on that. Um, boy, when we get to gaming grid, I mean, this is going to come out before it drops, but I just read a review. Hot damn. I just read a review for streets of rage Four. fuck. Yes, baby. I mean, uh, I am on <laughs> talk about some good news. <laughs> That's, I mean, the review, the reviews for this game are through the fucking roof and I am, I was such a fan and we, we've had, well, we've talked about streets of rage on the show before, uh, including the, the, the version, well, you can get a very popular mod that only works on PC, but uh, it's streets of rage was a version 5.1 or whatever. But anyway, that that's, that's a whole other story. We're not talking about that right here. I, and I reviewed that before. So, um, I, you know, my, my engagement on Twitter admittedly is kind of low. Sometimes I check the pulse of, you know, the cybersecurity community because certainly there's a lot of conversation happening there. Uh, and Twitter has very much become, I mean, tweets themselves, even though, you know, you gotta understand. So Twitter's been around for over a decade, uh, not a new idea. Even when it came out, there are corollaries that existed in the nineties. Um, and its initial concept was as a, a microblogging platform. And while I think for some people over the past few years, they're like, well, it's, it sure as fuck isn't that anymore, is it? <laughs> In other ways, it kind of is because every tweet, uh, and certainly since they increased the character limit to whatever it is, 240, 250, 240, I think. Uh, every tweet really can be a story in itself. I mean, we've covered entire tweets during the main story in the past, right? Like we talked about uh, Richard Dawkins comments about eugenics uh, and that was all based around a tweet. So to some degree, it actually is once again, living up to being a microblogging platform because ultimately what gets said on there can turn into news stories themselves. And certainly, and, and we'll get into this, I mean, the way that the, the <laughs> slap nuts in chief in Washington, the shit he's tweeting out all the time, I mean, just fucking unbelievable. Uh, and, and, and I have brought this point up many times and we'll reiterate it here, uh, actually, cause it's appurtenant to a story we're going to talk about of, of what Twitter's doing as far as coronavirus goes. Um, you know, this guy's basically laying out foreign policy, 240 characters at a time. And I mean, I'm an anarchist, fuck politics. 
but I can certainly tell you uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, is that, you know, I used to give a shit about politics. I mean, there was a time in my, that's how you, I think that's how a lot of people become an anarchist, right? It's kind of like the old thing, the old saying with the Bible, how do you make an atheist make, make them read the Bible, right? Well, how do you make an anarchist get them really into politics? And then they realize how much bullshit it all is. And then, you know, eventually it's what they become, hopefully. But you know, I can say it from that perspective, but then also, you know, with my military background, um, yeah, it's a recipe for not just disaster. It's a fucking recipe for world war three. Tweeting out basically foreign policy. And that's going to, again, that's going to be important to what we're going to talk about here, but really I'm just reiterating that. Yeah, actually Twitter has kind of become a microblogging platform and I will, you know, I basically look at it as okay, what are communities thinking now, as we've brought up many times on sovereign tech, what happens online isn't exactly real life. And I'm really thankful for that because again, otherwise we'd be doing some pretty horrible things or not. We, but the United States government would already be doing some, I mean, it already is doing horrible things, but it would be doing a lot more horrible things around the world. If it was based upon the Twitter accounts of varying politicians. So it's not real life, but it does give you a bit of a weather gauge of, you know, how, how people are thinking and what's important and what's going on. Now I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter and, and this would be true of all social media. I don't do it because, or, you know, I don't really do it because again, I, I specifically look at like news as far as video games go. And even that can get me enraged. But if I go much beyond that, like when I used to, when, when I was following, you know, what they call star Wars Twitter. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was, Oh, <laughs> Ellen could tell you stories <laughs> where I would just be first thing in the morning. Yeah. You hear it go. Whoo. <laughs> first thing in the morning. I mean, I just, I'd be livid over shit that I, the, just the dumb ass shit that I would be reading. And so I don't like to expand much or, you know, broaden my horizons much on Twitter because it's, it's fucking terrifying. Now I know because I've complained to some degree about this stuff before that Twitter's kind of resolved this and that you can, in your settings on Twitter, you can choose what terms you don't want to have show up about varying tweets. And that's a very helpful feature. Okay. It seems like a lot of work that doesn't have much, you know, payoff. You don't get a whole lot of reward. You don't get a whole lot of juice out of that squeeze, but that's a possibility. Uh, and, and I, I've mentioned this in, in, in recent episodes, like recently, you know, cause you go to the Explorer, you just, just click on the fucking, it's the Explorer tab, right? But it has the magnifying glass. You just click on that. Cause you're just going to go to whatever accounts you want to go to. And yeah, you can set up notifications too, but some of these sites, like I, I just, I, no, I, I have too many notifications in my life anyway. I don't need more. So I'll just take the time every once in a while to go to Twitter and, you know, just scroll through their Twitter feed of the specific news source that I'm interested in and, you know, and go about my merry way. And I don't just go to the websites. If you're going to say that I don't just go to the websites because sometimes they, you know, what they say on Twitter again is as much an addendum to the story and as important to the story as any update that they could, po they could possibly post in the story. Uh, and you know, it, it says a lot. So Twitter is, is a unique way of engaging this news that is valid to get the complete picture. But so, you know, I, I hit the search tab and, and the instance you do, or the Explorer tab and the instance you do, it, it has whatever hashtag or subject happens to be trending at the time. And 
every time I, I, I just glance at this and it's worse when you're on the website because it's always there. Uh, I regret it instantly. I instantly regret it because I'll, you know, maybe at some point it'll like pique my interest and I'll click on it and I'll just lose all faith in humanity. Like just like that, just instantaneously, even though rationally, I know that online life isn't real life. I, I, I mean, the, you know, the digital world certainly affects the meat space world. Right. But you know, they're not, they're not correlative as far as actual, uh, you know, how people would treat each other in real life. Right. For example, uh, I'll give you a couple examples that, I mean, and these are just banal ones that, that annoyed the fuck out of me. Um, I saw this, it was hashtag iTunes is over party. And I think I talked about this in the past sovereign tech. And I, and I, I mean, I was excited. I was like, Oh, Oh, what did Apple do now? <laughs> you know, and, and our people, are they finally, are they done? Are they finally saying what I have been saying for years, ever since version 10, what I've been saying is like, Oh, fuck iTunes. Like they're, they're fucking with artists. They're fucking the music industry. They're fucking whatever. And you know, and we're not going to use it anymore. And that's kind of actually what it was a, a bit about. I mean, I was hoping it was more of a security flaw. All right. I shouldn't say I was hoping for that, but you get my point. Um, but it ended up being like, I look into it and it's some band five, five SOS, five SOS, five, that somehow means it's like five seasons of summer or something, which is the dumbest statement I've ever heard. Probably comes from some great poem that I don't know about. And somehow it makes you feel like that they are uh, like a quasi deep band of some kind, even though they're just a fucking pop band. And boy, I want to get into a whole screed about modern pop music right now, but I will not. And just like the, you know, the responses that these people had, I mean, go ahead and look up the hashtag. Cause I, you know, you can look back, uh, I don't know, this is a month or two ago. Basically what happened is, is that iTunes, like there was an accidental early release of this group's album and it was, it was early it'd be, and so iTunes had, but a bunch of people bought it. And so they had to take it down, but again, because they took it down. So when they, when it came out on the right day, their new album, um, the, you know, that initial sales didn't count. Okay. Or the initial listen numbers that were through the roof apparently did not count. Okay. Now, I mean, sure. That's shitty. What ended up happening to that band, but I, I, th I think the part of it that really bothered me is that I'm looking at all these people commenting and granted, I mean, that's kind of a control group, right? People that are into this band five SOS. And they completely identify, you know, with, with this band. Like, I mean, they're, it, it, it's like their whole identity is around this band and, and, and I don't want, or around this group, I don't want to call it a band because they probably don't even really write their own music. And, and, and the thing is, is that, it, you know, if you talk trash about any of these, these kinds of groups, or like if you shit on K-pop, which I'll do that all day long. I will, I will wipe my ass with anything K-pop in a heartbeat. But now if somebody on Twitter heard me say that, holy shit. I mean, like these legions, these armies come out of people. And, and I think that's, what's so depressing about it is that when you see this, I mean, these people come out, like this is all they live for, you know, like this is their entire existence. 
And I guess to some degree I can kind of relate to that. You know, I mean, certainly I'm a huge kiss fan and I mean, I've, you know, I've waved that flag. Uh, I mean, star Trek is, you know, a huge part of my life, but the thing is, is that, and I'm not going to argue for kiss, but certainly like with star Trek, you know, this is something that's incredibly edifying. I mean, we, you can listen to past episodes of sovereign tech to, to, for me to, I don't need to justify that here. That statement star Trek is not just a TV show. Okay. That is abundantly clear. And I've made that abundantly clear and you can listen to past episodes to hear more about that. Or you can look for in the feed, you can look for episodes of sovereign Trek where I, where I would cover a lot of those subjects, especially the last one. I, I know I did. And it's not like it's just, well, this is what the kids are into today. No, like this is, this is the, this people's lives, you know? And, and, and then, I mean, even <laughs> I, I know, I know I sound like somebody who's saying, get the kids off of my lawn or something like that. Right. But it gets worse than that. Okay. Because it even gets into where I get frustrated around things that I love. Here's another example. Okay. And, and again, we're, we're going to get into that. This has a point that goes far beyond what I'm talking about. Okay. Or I mean, that's relative to what I'm talking about, but it goes beyond that. Here's another one. Hashtag. This is from maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, something like that. Hashtag tank girl lives. And I'm thinking, Whoa, everybody's talking about tank girl. This is fucking great. I love tank girl. I love the movie from the nineties. I still read the comic book to this day. That's, that's dynamite. I've even based characters in my own sovereign universe off of tank girl. I, I mean, big fan, huge fan. And I get really excited because I'm like, Oh yes, yes. Yeah. People, you know, they, they, they understand like, like they're, they're talking about tank girl and, and finally, you know, it might've taken people 20 years, but now they finally understand that that tank girl is actually really cool. But you know, what's going on, what's going on right now with COVID-19 is people are having all these watch parties, these watch parties. And I don't mean that they're like, they're showing off each other's Rolexes. They fucking wish uh, these watch parties are basically funded by the studios. And now because these studios can't put shit out in theaters. Oh, now, now the fucking movie studios are going to their back catalogs, right? And they're holding, you know, watch parties like uh, what the big one that I just saw recently was for Avengers Endgame or something. And I mean, they are just now they're milking their back catalog and acting like, oh, these are the greatest movies we've ever made. When, you know, 20 years ago, they couldn't wait for you to completely forget that it ever came out and make sure that you get your ass in seat for the next whatever bullshit that they had to push on you. And it's really frustrating because it's not like people are organically discovering great movies of the past. Oh no, 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 no. That's not going on at all. What's really happening is, is that the movie industry is just, I mean, yeah, they're doing it on the cheap. I understand that they're trying to make money. I understand that because they can't put new movies out and blah, blah, blah. But you know, if this wasn't going on, they wouldn't give these movies the time of fucking day. And that's the problem is that it's disingenuous. The passion for these things is wildly disingenuous. And these people who suddenly, and, 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 and this is, this is going to get to the point is that unless, you know, CBS or uh, Disney or whoever has an ass ton of sock accounts on Twitter, which I bet they do. Basically, you know, they can just put something in front of you 
they could put they could put the 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 biggest pile of turd Q Jeff Goldblum looking at the Triceratops, right? And you're just into it, and you'll just and you just suck it up, and you don't care, and you're just like sure. And it feels like on Twitter that public opinion can be instantaneously swayed. Seriously, how is it possible that suddenly on any given day you can convince a million people to just go and and watch Tank Girl? No argument. There's just there happens to be a fucking hashtag that says Tank Girl lives and oh everybody's going and watching it. And again, it's completely disingenuous on the part of the of the the entertainment industry to act like, oh yeah, this is our great stuff. Oh, ooh, ooh, ah. you know, and, and they set up like all these, I mean, some of it, some of the con in, you know, in the abstract is actually pretty cool. Like if you could get the director to sit down and basically do a live commentary on Twitter while you're all watching the movie together, is that pretty cool? Sure. But then that movie wasn't cool until five minutes ago. And that's the problem. That's part of the problem. Now for people Let's bring this, let's bring this in and where it's going to turn into the story for people to basically just flow in whatever direction. I mean, and we could bring up so many other stories about Twitter. Uh, you know, I mean, you have people who they, I mean, they live off of that trending box, right? And they will, you know, the instant they see something trending, they are popping out a tweet that might be totally unrelated, trying to self-promote themselves, uh, you know, like, like the, somehow everybody on planet earth is their own fucking fortune 500 company or something, which is goddamn insane. Okay. I mean, they're just, they're just ready to just jump on that. The level of control of the online conversation that Twitter has, I find to be disturbing. And it's not just like the conversation. It's what like, it, it's, it really is very much public opinion. And the pro, you know, part of the problem here is that the internet was supposed to be about freeing yourself from the gatekeepers of public opinion that had control of the television and radio airwaves, right? Well, I guess that fucking failed. And that's where our story comes in for our main story uh, that, that I want to bring up. And let me be clear here that everything I'm saying about Twitter is absolutely true. And I could link to the stories for them as well, uh, for Facebook as well. They are true for, I'm sure Instagram and so on. Of course, Facebook owns Instagram. So don't think this is just Twitter, but Twitter can give you perspective. Okay. Again, don't spend too long on there. Cause you'll want to jam a pencil in your ear, but you can check there. And here it is from Yahoo news. April 23rd, 2020. This is shared by a sovereign tech listener. Twitter to block virus 5G conspiracy theory tweets. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Let's let, let me read a little bit. Then we'll talk about it. Twitter is taking down comments and citing harmful activity, specifically calls to destroy wireless equipment stemming from a conspiracy theory that linked 5G to the coronavirus. And yes, we're talking about the radio band 5G. Quote, we have broadened our guidance on unverified claims that incite people to engage in harmful activity uh, could lead to the destruction or damage of critical 5G infrastructure or could lead to widespread panic, social unrest or large scale disorder. End quote. The Twitter safety team said on Wednesday, the irony here is that Twitter seems to be somewhat aware of everything I just said. 
you know, of, of, of the, the power that they seem to have over public opinion. But then, you know, even in this statement, uh, well, I'll read more of the story, but even in the statement, uh, there, there, there's something off here. What, what critical 5g infrastructure? Where? You're telling me if there's some 5g towers that went down, that suddenly everything would stop getting mailed and factories would shut down and whatever else. That's weird. I didn't think we were at that level yet. That's, that's some interesting veneration of this technology, but let's keep reading. The move follows social media calls that have resulted on attack or in attacks on 5G towers in some European countries. Twitter's update is the latest in an effort by social media platforms to curb rampant misinformation about the COVID-19 pandemic. In a blog post, Twitter said it was refining its policy to deal with the latest incidents. It will remove unverified claims verified by who who fucks the authority that Twitter wants to run to. Uh, what could lead to the destruction reading on uh, what could lead to the destruction or damage of critical infrastructure, uh, quote, widespread panic, social unrest or large scale disorder. End quote. The statement said these include tweets that falsely tell people food is running out or that 5G wireless causes uh, coronavirus. The San Francisco firm said the 5G conspiracy theory has prompted the British government to step in to debunk the claim, which was promoted by an ITV news presenter. Now, this whole conspiracy theory around the, basically it's, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Wired did a great break, uh, breakdown. Okay. Of all, I mean, if you want to find all of the videos and everything that's talking about this and making this claim, this story has got your hookup. I'll make sure it's in the show notes from wired, but basically there was a claim made in, I guess maybe a little over the past month that the corona, or well, when this started would have been months ago, but the claim is is somewhat new. Is that in Wuhan, okay, where the coronavirus, you know, started, okay, started its spread. That in Wuhan, just before coronavirus started there, for lack of a better way of saying it, 5G towers were set up. And there are varying health claims being made by people of varying degrees of medical authority. I'll put it that way. Okay. Saying that, you know, 5g, like exposure to the 5g band can cause uh, stomach sickness, all different kinds of perhaps medical conditions, blah, blah, blah. Now, I mean, a lot of this smacks of, and this is kind of the point that the wired story gets to is that, the 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory is basically bringing out all of the old canards from every other technological development to ever come out. And now it's just being applied to 5G. Okay. And that's the Twitter claims. And like I said, not just Twitter, actually also admittedly telegram. Uh, I was fairly surprised that they have come out and said that they are trying to make sure the best information gets out there. That's, kind of saying the same thing as Twitter, admittedly, um, even though they're just doing it in channels. And as far as we can tell, not that Telegram hasn't engaged in censorship of content in the past that has occurred. Um, and we'd covered it on this show. Okay. It doesn't seem that they're going to that length, which is what Twitter is doing in this case, but they are certainly in the game of making sure correct. And I put this thing in, in quotes, correct information is out there about coronavirus. 
Okay. Um, there are a few problems. Okay. With what Twitter is doing. All right. And again, it's not just Twitter. Like we're just saying one is, is that their claim is that they are concerned around, uh, acts of violence against critical infrastructure. Again, what fucking critical infrastructure? <laughs> like, like, I don't, I, 5g is so new. It's practically impossible that there's critical infrastructure. I don't even know what the hell that means. Uh, it's, I mean, really th- these, these journalists who actually have access to these companies and can get a response for them, because believe me, I've tried, uh, and I'm in the PR space at that, like, you know, ask for some expansion on what the fuck these people are saying. All right. But okay. So I get it. And, and this isn't new for Twitter. I mean, when, you know, whatever things were, whatever various terrorist groups were using Twitter to put their message out. Okay. They're, they're trying to cut that off. Um, you know, and anything that's inciting violence, they try and cut off. We've talked about this before and we were just talking about it a few minutes ago. How are you? I mean, I get it. Inciting violence on Twitter is against Twitter's terms of service, right? Uh, for you to be able to use it. Got it. We know that when we sign up, it's actually, they do a pretty good job of making that language at least front and center, maybe not clear, but it's certainly front and center. Okay. For you to see how is the president of the United States on Twitter? He is threatening to kill millions of people almost by the day. He is threatening to go to war with Iran. He is threatening to, I mean, all the time. He is inciting violence nonstop on that network and they don't shut him down. But oh, for fuck's sake, if somebody wants to take down a 5G antenna, oh, oh, please, please. It's okay. You can knock out some, uh, some developing nation. That's fine. But don't destroy our 5G networks. Where the fuck are your priorities, Twitter? This gets weak. This, this gets strange, right? Not, not even the coronavirus thing. Okay. Now granted, I mean like this whole theory that 5g and coronavirus are, 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 are connected. Uh, RT as in Russia today, uh, RT has definitely been one of the bigger platforms, uh, espousing some of the stuff. In fact, there's, was it the correspondent there with, uh, Michelle Greenstein, um, has brought up, you know, that, that 5g might kill you. Uh, there's health risks around 5g. And even I think the claims have basically gone as far as, well, she's just about gotten to the point of saying, Hey, Bill Gates created this whole, like this, like coronavirus is a bioweapon and Bill Gates created it. That's just about the point that she's gotten to. She might not have exactly said that, said that, but like, she's like right there saying it and saying to, and she is literally saying, look at Bill Gates. Right now, all that aside, I'm not even going to necessarily comment on any of that. And and this gets into stupid territory, right? Because people want to claim that Russia today, a say that they're a propaganda arm for Russia. That's a conversation for another time. But regardless is that the reason that RT is so against 5g and actually helping espouse this 5g coronavirus uh, 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 conspiracy theory is because Russia is behind in rolling out 5g. And, and I mean, you know, I read that 
And I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess, I guess I see where you're, where you're coming from. And of course this is coming from people who consider Russia, uh, the Russian government to be some kind of evil regime. Okay. Well, every government's an evil regime. And that kind of speaks to the point. Like, let's say that's true. Let's say RT or that this entire, the spreading of the 5g conspiracy is all a Russian plot, right? Because they actually control social media, or at least so we're told they're the new boogeyman or they're the, the, the returned boogeyman, right? For the media. If they're just trying to hold the rest of the world back before Russia can give 5g, but then Russia is an evil regime. Then wait, how does 5g empower an evil regime? And then wait, wait, does 5g empower evil regimes? How, why? What's that? And that's kind of the question that I'm getting at here. I'm not talking about health risks as far as 5G goes. Uh, we've already did a full breakdown on the show, Sovereign Tech, uh, you know, about 5G. Okay. There was some episodes ago and I, I didn't get into, I didn't even have to bring up any of the health risks if they're real or not. We didn't have to get into any of that. I just said there is no appreciable benefit for the consumer. So the consumer should not fucking bother with this. The speed what your websites don't load fast enough on 4g. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay. Uh, and we brought down all, all of the privacy risks and, and, you know, let's, let's be abundantly clear on this. And and actually there's a story I want to share about this as well. Uh, contact tracing. Okay. This is the word we talked about. This is the term we talked about in the last episode that you need to get into your lexicon and be scared the fuck out of it. And I'm not coming at this, you know, as, as some kind of, uh, you know, negative connotation of a conspiracy theorist. And I say a negative connotation because, you know, a lot of times, guess what? There are conspiracy theorists who, you know, they end up right. I'm not even coming at it from that angle. Okay. And I don't have to, there are a million simple reasons why contact tracing is a horrible idea. And I'm not, unfortunately, but you know what, let, let, let me break to the story and then I, I want to get back, bring this back a little bit full circle here. Okay, I've got a story from, from Fast Company. Uh, cell phone contact tracing draws skepticism as a solution for slowing COVID-19. This is coming from Fast Company, not InfoWars. Okay, and you know, it, so here we go. Pew Research Center, according to the report, they, they basically did a survey recently of, hey, do you think this is going to work? According to the report released Thursday and based on survey, a uh, survey conducted April 7th through the 12th, 60% of Americans don't think such tracking would make a difference. Additionally, only 52% of Americans say it's at least somewhat acceptable to use the data for that purpose, according to the report. Now, admittedly, that 52% number is a little high. My, you know, that kind of bothers me. But more or less in America. Okay. It's 50, 50 on whether or not people even think that collecting this kind of data would even, if it's even acceptable, right? Then 60%. So the majority of Americans believe that contact tracing will not help, will not, you know, won't work for what, what, what these people have in mind. And I'm glad to read that. Like, and they're looking at it. I mean, those two numbers are important because it's basically painting a picture that, yeah, we know you people are using this for something other than COVID-19, which is exactly the point that I was bringing up, you know, when we started talking about what Apple and Google are doing is that sooner or later, this again, it's the old sovereign tech maxim. Okay. Any and all data that you produce can, and eventually will be used against you. And that's what all this is painting at. Now, 
So that's that those statistics from Pew Research is very interesting that that people seem to have gotten it that, well, shit, this ain't this. This isn't going to work. This isn't a good idea. It's not even acceptable. And beyond that, back to my point. Boy, journalists and tech companies and governments, even because the British government got involved. They seem really worried that you're not going to buy into 5G. Like I, and, and, and they're really promoting 5G and its use. I mean, like I, I haven't seen a technology get this much of a push. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time. Even like HDTV, which is now totally pervasive, didn't get this kind of a push. I mean, eventually in market, it got the push into that. It's the only thing you could fucking buy. Right. And that's why people got, you know, bought into it, but wow. They do not want you talking shit about 5G. And again, like I said, I'm not even coming at it from health risks. I'm coming at it from privacy concerns, from whether or not it's even worthwhile to roll it out. You know, like if if there are benefits overall to the end user, and then you could say, well, it's not about the end user. It's to the business. Well, then don't put it in my Samsung Galaxy S piece of shit phone. If it doesn't mean anything to me. Don't charge me. Don't market to me because that's the problem. They'd be lying because they're marketing it to you as in this is fucking everything, right? We'll use internet speak. 5G is everything and you didn't know it. You know, I'm just waiting for those journalist stories to come out like that. So, I mean, do I trust RT? No, I don't trust any news organization. Folks, you know, how, how did John Lennon say it? The only thing honest on a newspaper is the name of the newspaper. Baby, that is the truth, Ruth, and it's still true. I find it, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I find it incredibly odd, or that that's what, how I'm going to end this conversation. I find, I mean, okay, without question, and we knew this was happening during the 2016 elections, right, that you know, all of this hullabaloo about the Russians and everything else was finding ways. Okay. So like we, like we were showing Twitter, social media in general has does, you know, has very real control and sway over public opinion, even just in the trending box. Right. Okay. So there's that. So they have sway of public opinion. Now, how do we make sure as in we being they, them, those, we being Twitter, tech giants, government, corporatism, all one, you know, ugly bunch. How do we control the narrative that's being put on these platforms? And that's what this is all about. And that's what this is being used for. But then at the end of all of that, okay, so we're wrapping all this up at the end of all of that, this push for 5g is, well, I'll use this word again. I already used it earlier, but I'll use it again. It's disturbing. There's something not right about it. And it's basically to the point, I mean, it's being like questioning 5G is effectively, you know, based on what we've been covering here is effectively uh, uh, being treated like somehow you are questioning whether or not coronavirus is real. We don't have to get into health risks. We don't have to get into any of that stuff. But just the way the actions being taken around this narrative and around the technology of 5G, something's not right there. Doesn't have to be health risks, but something's not right. 
and why one country can have it and somehow it would be okay. But the concerns is, or but the theory is, is that Russia is really just trying to stall until they can get 5G. What's the big deal? Why are governments so hot and bothered on this technology if all of that is true? That should bring you a whole lot of pause. And of course, what's the solution? Well, it's a solution. Uh, we'll, do, we'll go the old market way. Don't buy it. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out BlockTap.io. BlockTap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. BlockTap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at BlockTap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, BlockTap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. Issues of privacy, security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. Woo, baby! Let's keep it going. We're on the subject. Let's stick to it. This is a story I've actually had for uh, for a couple weeks now because uh, coming from a similar time frame, April 7th, 2020. Uh, so this is also in the midst and about, and you know, I know I said that I want to stop talking about uh, COVID-19, but like now, you know, the tech giants, and I still do want to go there and we're going to get there, but now the tech giants are just doubling down on this horse shit. And to prove the point, this is a story from Reuters. Uh, well, Business Insider published it, but whatever. Links in the show notes. WhatsApp limits message forwarding to slow spread of coronavirus misinformation. Now, we'll read about this, and I suppose this is a concern that some might have that maybe Telegram would get into as well. Well, something to keep in mind, but I'm not leaving Telegram at this stage in the game. And again, the head of Telegram is an anarchist, so I can't really imagine going in that direction. But regardless, let's read what WhatsApp is doing. Uh, here we go from uh, from Katie Paul. Facebook inks. No, Facebook. Facebook's, uh, Facebook's WhatsApp tightened message forwarding limits on Tuesday, restricting users to sharing forwarded content one chat at a time after a jump in messages touting bogus medical advice since the start of the coronavirus crisis. The pandemic, which is uh, whatever, they give stats on that. Uh, let's see. WhatsApp, which has more than 2 billion users worldwide, said in a blog post it made the change after observing a significant increase in the number of forwards since the start of the coronavirus. Now, the funny thing is, is this is what, what WhatsApp said was significant increase. Do you think that WhatsApp doesn't have the exact numbers of what that is? No, of course they do. <laughs> This is what they, this is what these companies deal in is data, very specific data that, you know, and if it's unstructured, they'd find a way to structure it. This is what they do. There's no reason that they can't tell us the exact numbers of what is going on. And, but of course, if they did, maybe you wouldn't feel their actions were so justified, but let's keep going. Quote, we believe it's important to slow the spread of these messages down to keep WhatsApp a place for personal conversation, end quote, the statement said. 
A WhatsApp spokesman said the new limit was in place indefinitely. So this isn't going away, folks. The service has been imposing gradual curbs on message forwarding since 2018 after viral rumors on its platform triggered a wave of mass beatings and deaths in India. Since last year, users have been able to forward a message to only five individuals or groups at once, down from an earlier limit of 20. The app also labeled any messages that had been forwarded more than five times. Facebook and Twitter have responded to the deluge of inaccurate medical information posted in recent months by barring users from posting misleading information about the coronavirus, including denials of expert guidance and encouragement of fake treatments. Now, folks, look, the, the easy thing to do here, replace coronavirus with pick your topic. And it might be something that's incredibly fucking important. Or imagine whatever country you are in where perhaps being anti-government is widely seen as a good thing. And I'm not talking about being violent. I'm just saying as in spreading the truth over what a government actually did compared to what they're saying, replace coronavirus with any term, any topic, any situation. And suddenly I think you'll realize the terror, the problem of what all of these social platforms are engaging in. And they can claim, you know, I mean, they they will, coronavirus is very much, Look, it's real. It's happening. It's a thing. Okay. We have talked about it. My positions on coronavirus have not changed. Okay. From previous episodes. So if you want to hear me talk about that, all right. And my empathy for people that are dealing with it and so on, please go back to previous episodes. All right. Do not label me without first hearing those episodes. Now, of course, WhatsApp claims to be, you know, really great end-to-end encryption. And yes, they do use the signal protocol, uh, even though we have debated how well that was implemented into WhatsApp. Um, but so they can't, they're supposedly, they can't see what you're actually sharing. So what they're doing is they're just limiting how much you can share, you know, and, and, the, and basically it's spread overall. Again, originally you could do like 20 shares at a time. Now you can only do five. Um, so to double down on this though, of course, WhatsApp is, uh, here, well, here it is. The app also encourages people to flag suspicious content to fact checking organizations and has enabled the WHO and national health authorities to share reliable information about the new coronavirus on the service using automated accounts. Uh, of course, like I said, Telegram's kind of doing, that's kind of doing the same thing, but about the, you know, sharing reliable information, not about the flagging, um, that flagging thing. I mean, just even incentivizing people to basically snitch on you defeats the entire point, frankly, of end to end encryption, but I digress. But again, this all boils down to what we were talking about throughout much of the last segment. This is all about controlling the flow of information or even controlling what information can get out there. Technology, and I know longtime listeners of the show don't need to hear this, but maybe new people do. Technology is supposed to just be a tool, right? What it gets done with that tool is where concepts of good or bad may come in. But the technology itself is what it is, okay? And you use it, and, you know, hopefully people do it without harming someone else, but that's not always the case. And while the free flow of information can certainly lead to a lot of harm, it's also the only way that can lead to a lot of healing and a lot of good. Censorship of any stripe never works. It's never ultimately going to solve anything. 
you know, bringing things out into the light. That's like, I mean, and we've brought this up with YouTube. Okay. As well, because YouTube is, I mean, they're hammering down on this shit too. Okay. Let the 5g conspiracists let, if you want to call them that. Okay. And I, anyway, I'm just using terms folks. Let those people come out. Let the people who have this, this differing information. Okay. About, uh, or, or, you know, whatever claims that they have crazy or not about coronavirus or how to heal it. Let all of that come out. Okay. I mean, sure as fuck, you're not stopping, <laughs> you're not stopping big orange from saying, oh, light's going to kill everything, you know, <laughs> with coronavirus. Okay. Let these people on the platforms, let them get out there because when they come out and their information gets out, it becomes easier for the people who have the real information to debunk them. It becomes easier for the truth to come out. The more you let falsehood, I mean, I know you might think that sounds antithetical, but no, think about it. It's not at all. The only way you can truly, if you want to use this term, the only way you can truly combat misinformation and falsehood is by, it has to have the same platform as the truth. That's how it gets shut down is that the truth, let the misinformation be taken on by the facts, but you can't really bring the facts out there if you don't know what all the misinformation is saying, right? That's the problem. This isn't a winning proposition, and this all just smacks of more and more authoritarianism control. It all just smacks of that more control. How can we control information? How can we control what people think? How can we control what they can do on these supposedly open apps and everything? And boy, if the message isn't abundantly clear, no pun intended there, to not use WhatsApp, here it is again. I know that's hard in some parts of the world, but do what you can. Stay away from this fucking thing. Be right back with me. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com Your questions. The man of tomorrow's answers. Email questions at SovereignTech.com Time for important messages. Let's do it. We get your emails. And you know, actually, I can imagine I would get a lot of emails. Of course, questions at SovereignTech.com. That's the email address to use. I can imagine I'd get a lot over some of the things I've brought up in user podcast. When people go and listen to that, send them in and we'll cover them right here. Like I, I am more than happy to do that. Or maybe we'll do a user podcast Q and a episode uh, every once in a while. If the questions, you know, really 
you know, really boil up uh, or, you know, really, really be, uh, I get a lot of them in the hopper, as I would say. So let's talk about, we got a question here. Great question. This is actually from the telegram group, which is also a great place to ask these questions. Here we go. Uh, from a great, great listener, Brian, if you haven't already, uh, would you opine on the 10,000 per day suggestion we often hear in the fitness space? Now, what he's talking about is the, you know, walk 10,000 steps per day, right? That that's what he means. I'm not opposed to it in principle. Walking is good for you, but I think tracking said steps and becoming neurotic about it is horseshit. And uh, excellent use of the word horseshit. I will actually completely agree with you. <laughs> so I'll break it down and tell you where I'm coming from. Um, and I, I mean, I've kind of talked about this in now, of course, listeners know I'm very much into fitness. Okay. Uh, I take it very seriously, my own, uh, certainly. And I espouse it as much as I can. Um, I've talked about concerns around, well, basically around, you know, fitness trackers that you wear around your wrist, like Fitbits or, you know, the me band, like Xiaomi's me band, uh, which I happen to have, I have the me band for, um, I don't really, I use it for different purposes. You can listen back to previous episodes, but it has nothing to do with fitness tracking. Um, so I haven't exactly talked about the 10,000 per day part, but I, I'm glad to talk about it. Cause I mean, I'll, I'll put together, I'll compile some of what I've said in the past, but then also I, there's one really, in my opinion, very striking thing against the whole 10,000 steps per day, uh, concept. Now I know a lot of people, very intelligent people, and I don't mean to insult them at all. And I mean, I, I mean, it, I really don't who are really big on making sure that they hit that 10,000 or they even, you know, like they have a competition, a competition with their spouse, um, over how many steps that they got in, in a day and so on. And I agree with the emailer here too, you know, uh, the print in principle, somehow getting people to get more active dynamite isn't, isn't that great. And you're not wrong. Okay. Uh, I do think there's better ways to go about it, but ultimately, yeah, that that's a good thing, but this can turn into a problem. And I think that's what the emailer is hinting at. I want to talk about it. But the first thing that we got to bring up here is let's talk a little bit about the, the, the medical science around why it's a good idea to walk 10,000 steps a day and to get in those 10,000 steps. But there's a problem, and, and I'm sure I'll get labeled as misinformation on Twitter and WhatsApp. <laughs> there's a problem with that. There is no research around 10,000 steps a day. There's no medical science to be had. <laughs> uh, I mean, not really. The number, you know where this number came from? Holy shit. And, and, and I remember seeing these. these. These were popular. I used to go to Japan all the time. Okay, and in Japan... Uh, this idea of like of pedometers. Okay. They, they, they became a thing in the 1960s. They were a big deal. And the name for them was Manpukai. Manpukai literally means 10,000 steps meter. Okay. So the name of the device, when it became popular in Japan, which is where pedometers, you know, for this kind of use started, it was in the name that you get 10,000 steps. The Japanese had no, certainly had no science medical knowledge behind that back then. You know, they were just, yeah, it's better to be active. Sure. But not around like the specific 10,000 steps. It's just what the pedometer did. And it was in its fucking name. That's the, that's completely where this notion of 10,000 steps come from. 
It comes from a marketing tactic. It does not come from medical science at all. So for you to say it's horseshit, yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, now, I mean, there have been studies that have come out saying that, well, people that do 10,000 steps, uh, it reduces their blood pressure after 24 weeks. It does this and that. And, but the thing is, is that none of that really has to do with 10,000 steps, 10,000 steps, even in those studies is just basically the number that they ran with, because that's what popular pedometers did. You understand? It's not like they went for, okay. You know, it's not like, I mean, like there's people who say, well, the most efficient exercise is, uh, is seven minutes long and you get such and such rewards out of it. Okay. Now that's like, that's some very serious research. We can debate it, you know, but that's some pretty serious research done on that. And you were looking for what was the actual number? What was the actual amount of time of aerobic movement that you needed, you know, to get something that was worthwhile. And they ended up with seven minutes. That's not how this was done. This was just, it was just a number pulled out of a fucking hat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so no, <laughs> this whole 10,000 steps thing, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. You know, and, I mean, and yeah, now you can find studies on it, but it's because the 10,000 number already existed and they kind of just ran with it. It's not because that's what's the most efficient. Uh, are there studies out there as far as what is the most efficient amount of steps today that can get the improvements similar to what has been done on people that have done over 10,000 steps? I'm not sure that that research is out there, but that would be far more interesting to, you know, to find. Um, but then also. You know, I, I mean, I don't think it would hurt Fitbit's bottom line or I mean, well, fuck their own by Google now anyway. So who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> but don't use them. Uh, but, uh, I don't think it's going to hurt anybody's bottom line, but there you go now. Okay. Before, because we're, we're getting low on the segment here. Um, the, the psychological concerns. Yeah, there are a few here. Uh, people do get neurotic and they get stressed out if they, and, and I've seen this where people get really mad or stressed out if they don't get in their 10,000 steps, because it's to the point that I guess they, they think if they don't get that in every day, they're going to fucking die. That's not good. Stress is never good for the human body. Not like that. Okay. I mean, aerobic stress is one thing, you know, or, or, or cardio stress and stuff like this, you know, stress from a workout. That's one thing, but mental stress just depletes the body in so many unhealthy ways, you know, your immune system, which is pretty important now uh, and so on. And I can imagine speaking of COVID-19, I can imagine where people are, especially at first when everybody was really staying like locked in their door, you know, locked in their homes. Uh, I could picture a lot of people freaking the fuck out. Like either they're going up and down steps, you know, stairs all day or, or what, or just, you know, walking a, you know, walking a hole into their floor. I don't know, but, uh, that they couldn't go out or maybe they felt like they couldn't go outside to do this. Um, the other problem is, is that, and, and I know this because I I've tested these devices. A lot of them try to engage in a certain gamification of your workout. And you know, th there's an argument for gamification, but making it something official and then it becoming competitive with other people. Like there's like this RPG that's, that's all around you putting in varying stats of what kind of, uh, you know, workout that you did during a day or how many steps you got in and so on. Uh, gamification is in my opinion, and oh, is generally antithetical to your intrinsic motivations, which is where your desire to stay healthy and workout should come from. Your desire to, to get in, you know, however, get in a walk during the day at the very least. Okay. To get in a walk is that should come from inside. It should not be something 
that is, okay, I'm going to do this because I want to compete with, you know, Johnny at the office, right? Or Johnny on Zoom. Uh, it should not really come from, I mean, it's okay to want to, you know, when you do something amazing, even, you know, athletically, physically or something, you know, that you want to boast, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's not boasting if you can back it up. Right. But if it's coming from like this, this competitiveness, I don't know that that's always the healthiest thing because that leads more to that stress and, you know, maybe that neuroticism, like you mentioned. Okay. So yeah, understand that that number of 10,000 is absolute bullshit. Okay. And if you want to get healthier, get healthier for the right reasons. Okay. You know, one of the easiest things, instead of me just complaining, I'll give you something to, to do instead. Here's the thing, you know, we're, we're very, the eyes are remarkable things. We're, we're a very visual species. Get a picture or of somebody. Okay. Some, if you're a guy, gal, Z, whatever, whoever the fuck you want to look like. You want that body. Okay. Uh, or you want that ability or whatever, get that picture. I don't know. Put it as your background on your phone or on your desktop, whatever. Okay. Print it out and put it on the wall. I don't care. All right. I mean, people might think it's weird when they do those zoom cocktail hours with you, but who gives a shit? This is for you, not for them. That's the point. Find that body type that you want to achieve. Okay that you want to look like for yourself and then base your activity, base what you do during the day, et cetera, on that. All right. Don't base it on bullshit numbers like 10,000 K or, you know, or like 10 K steps a day. Don't base it on, well, I, I you know, I got to do just seven minutes. Don't base it on any of that stuff. Okay. No, for sure what you want to look like. The most important philosophical question, I say this all the time, the most important philosophical question that you can answer is what do I want? Well, here's a really important one. What do I want to look like? What abilities do I want? What do I, you know, how do I want my body to be, et cetera? All right. I want you to think about that for yourself. What pleases you? How are you going to feel best looking in the mirror, et cetera? And when you have that answer, take actions based on that not based upon your Fitbit, your me band, your whatever goddamned app is on that fondle slab, that block of sensors in your pocket. Don't base it on any of that. Okay. Go ye therefore and do likewise. <laughs> you think I haven't done that? I know exactly who I want to look like. Uh, so <laughs> who? Uh, no, no, sorry. That's, that's not for you. Hey. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be right back with more sovereignty. What? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of sh Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but come on, we all want to, don't we? <laughs> I just, who, who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech.
Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. Woo, baby, time to have some fun with the gaming grid. And, you know, actually opening her up, um, this isn't the most fun. Uh, but if you are like me, I am a, a pretty serious Nintendo Switch gamer. And um, I mean, I also play on PC. But uh, Nintendo did confirm, you might have seen this, speaking of on Twitter, like we were talking about earlier. You might have seen how a lot of people were talking about that they were pretty sure their Nintendo accounts got hacked or cracked, as we like to say on the show. Um, that is true. Nintendo has said, yeah, it did happen. They don't think that any personal information was leaked or credit card numbers or anything like that, but they did confirm that accounts were cracked into. Uh, Nintendo has been well ahead of the curve for years by allowing you to set up proper two-factor authentication. And I don't mean SMS two-factor authentication. I mean, they want you and they show you how to do it. I put a link in the show notes too, where you can, you know, you, you download an authenticator app and you have the authentication token that you have to put in every time. Is it a pain in the ass? Sure. Um, but I mean, some people were claiming that, I don't know, somebody spent $200 on their account on Fortnite. Uh, I don't know why you'd play that, but whatever. Um, you know, all, all kinds of shit can happen with this. So it's a good idea. Again, the more secure we all are, the more secure we all are, right? That's the old saying here. And setting up 2FA on your Nintendo account, you'd think, well, what could possibly happen? Well, we know what could happen. I mean, you could be out of a lot of money, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, just do it, okay? There's no reason not to set up 2FA, 2FA for your Nintendo account. I espoused this years ago when they first implemented it, and I applauded them for doing so because that was at a time when not every company was, maybe companies had SMS to uh, 2FA, but they didn't have the one-time pins uh, so much or the OTOP keys. Uh, and and you, you want this. This is doing it right. So get that set up. Um, I did check out and I know everybody was asking me now. Okay. So there was a sale a little while back where super, uh, super Mario maker two was, was on sale for the switch. I had the first one for my three DS. I love my three DS. In fact, I could get into a whole conversation about that. I'll save that for a minute. Um, and you could get, I don't know, for whatever, however much after the sale, it's rare that first party games go on sale for Nintendo. Okay. Uh, so when it happens, you kind of jump on them. Right. And super Mario maker. So I picked it up and I tried it out and I was like, Oh, this is actually, this is really, really cool. Well, they just came out with, what was it? Version 2.01 or whatever, uh, that they just dropped about a week and a half ago. And Holy shit. I mean, this is a game that effectively lets you make your own Mario games. Now you can't sell them. You can't distribute them individually. Like you know, you can share it with people online and they can play it online more or less. And they can even, I think to some degree, they can download it onto their own switch, but it's not like you can suddenly get into the gaming business. Okay. I mean, maybe someone in Nintendo's watching and will be like, holy shit, what a great Mario level design. Let's hire this guy. That might happen. Um, but you can't really make a business out of this. Okay. I'm sure there are people that somehow figured out how exactly, but it's not like, you know, you make a game and you get to put it out there on, you know, different platforms and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work that way. 
but it's still really, really cool. And I mean, I got to admit, I always go back to classic Mario games when I just want to, you know, do some mindless feel good stuff. I mean, I really do because I know those games by heart, you know, I mean, I've been playing Mario games my pretty much my whole life. Uh, I mean, from Donkey Kong up quite frankly. Um, and so, you know, I can get into like making my own levels and everything. That's really cool. But now Nintendo, they really put this on steroids with their new, with the, the final update to super Mario maker two, because now you can make entire worlds, not just as in, you can make the, uh, you know, the, the, the world map, right? It's not, I mean, every, every level would be technically a world, but now you can make the entire world map where you could make, you know, a game like super Mario world, super Mario brothers three, and so on. They also put in a lot of sprites from super Mario brothers two, which I thought that was a really nice touch as well. Um, but I tried this out and hot damn, that's some good stuff. <laughs> it is really cool. I mean, what you can do, I mean, it's, it's almost like a whole other game. You could have sold almost a whole other game by just adding in the world map feature. And Nintendo basically put it out there for free as long as you already had the game. And, and it is so, so well done. Are they going to end up doing Super Mario Maker 3? Yeah, probably at some point. I mean, I, I would see that happening. And I'm sure they are beta testing, you know, this whole concept um, with this. I think, frankly, I think Nintendo would be very smart to basically, you know, basically to allow people to sell their Mario games made with super Mario maker, whatever version that happens to be. Uh, and I mean, they could create their own, you know, gaming industry with this, you know, and right down to controlling the software. I mean, there's plenty of software that kind of does that sort of thing, anything right from Dejica and so on. You know, I'm aware of that, but for Nintendo to do it and to do it on the console itself, pun intended, talk about a game changer. That would be huge. I mean, I really, really think that would be a remarkable thing for them to do because now it's to the point where you could create something that I think could hold monetary value in the Nintendo eShop or, you know, in any game store, really. So really, really exciting. If you haven't checked out Super Mario Maker 2 or if you played it a while ago and you haven't fired it up in a while, oh, it's time because the things people are making with the whole world maps are just fucking insane. All the levels you got to go through, all the worlds you have to go through. Awesome. 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 I love it. But you know, I got to say the more as, as non-limiting as that is, right. I got to tell you, the switch still feels kind of limited. I, I don't feel, I still feel, you know, the more I play the switch, the more I realize how great the the 3ds is as a console. And it, and it really is. I mean, the only thing the switch in my opinion has over it is, uh, you know, the more direct multiplayer, right? And yeah, of course, better graphics. Sure. But overall, fuck. I mean, the 3ds can just do so much. It can do so much more and everything's offline. I think that's great. Um, actually there was a, a story recently that in there's like limited versions of the eShop where you can redeem codes, even though the eShops don't sell anything, those are starting to get shut down for the 3ds around the world. Um, I'm not going to get into that conversation again. I've done whole gaming grid episodes about how the problems with digital games, uh, but damn, 
yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, like the more I play switch, the more I love what the 3ds can do. The more I love that system. I, st- I, I dare argue. I still think that's the better system, uh, pound for pound. And you have so many great games for that thing. And it has such a great legacy. I really hope that it lasts a good long while. And then Nintendo really does keep supporting it. Um, I mean, I think I forget when super Mario maker two came out, but it's been out for at least two, three years. I want to say, I mean, and for them to have keep pushing out updates for it, that's pretty good. Uh, so I'm hoping Nintendo will keep supporting the 3ds, uh, because again, I just, it makes me want to go back to it. You know, like the more I play on the switch and I really, even, even the simple shit, like the fact that the switch doesn't have themes yet, you know, for the UI, what the hell, you know? And, and, but then I, I, I pop on, um, Oh, this is something we got to talk about this too. Okay. <laughs> so, cause this is the good stuff. I'm really not complaining here because you know what? You don't have to just have a 3DS or a Switch. You can have both. Isn't that amazing? Um, if you can find them, right? Apparently, 3DSs have been selling out and so have Switches, supposedly due to, you know, production issues out of COVID-19. Um, but anyway, but, you know, I, I could power my 3DS and there I have that gorgeous, from Sega themselves, I have those gorgeous uh, UI themes for the, or system themes with the Dreamcast where it has that, beautiful music playing in the background or the Sega Saturn. This is what made me think of it. Uh, this is something else worthwhile. I shared this in the telegram group. Uh, I, this is, this is fucking awesome. Um, so there's the company called Terra onion. And we talked about this in the gaming grid in the past where they released a cartridge that goes into a, uh, Genesis or a Genesis compatible system, say like the mega, uh, the mega SG and, they came out with a cartridge. It's called the mega SD and it's an FPGA cartridge that can hardware emulate right on the cartridge. Most of, I think Sega master system, game gear, Genesis, it might not do 32 X, but I I know it can do Sega CD. And that's what got everybody excited about. It was the fact that it could so beautifully, and again, it's FPGA, right? It's, it's field programmable. You know, uh, it's a board. It's not even, it's not software emulation. It's hardware emulation. Even that's kind of a disrespectful way of talking about it. Uh, it's perfect. And the fact that you could do Sega CD on it so well got people really, really excited. I think there was an issue with 32 X with it, but anyway, they came out with a new, not a cartridge, but an FPGA board that has a hard drive on it or that you can put on it. You can add USB or whatever to it anyway. And you can plug this in, no soldering. You open up, you know, crack open your Dreamcast or here's the real beauty or your Sega Saturn, right? You put this FPGA board on it in place of here's the winner. Here's the other winner in place of the optical drive, which, you know, eventually those are going to go bad and they are You pop that on. And then, you know, you can, you can play the games right off the hard drive, which is great for speed, right? Because there's no load times due to the optical drive. But then if your optical drive died, which for Saturn's becoming a very real thing, and I'm sure for Dreamcast to some degree as well. Uh, and it instantly recognizes which system you have it in. I mean, it'd be a pain in the ass. If you wanted to do it for Dreamcast and Saturn, you probably want two of them. They cost a couple hundred bucks. Okay. But I think this is totally worth it. Because you can put on a huge hard drive. You can have every fucking Saturn game ever. You could be playing Panzer Dragoon Saga, right? Which good luck getting that to work anywhere. We hope it gets a re-release on Switch. Um, but regardless, yeah, this this is a 
big, big deal. And I want this for the Saturn alone, even though the Dreamcast, I think is, I mean, it's, it, I would argue that could be argued along with the 3DS that could easily be argued as the greatest system of all time. But, uh, oh, hot damn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take one with the Sega Saturn hooked up. I mean, in a heartbeat, because there's so many great Saturn games that a lot of people never really played and that are pain in the ass to emulate. Uh, and also a lot of them, I mean, you know, code's gone. And so it's not like you're even, you know, you're lucky to even get a re-release of them in the future and to have that more hardware-esque emulation involved. Um, that's the way to go. I think this is such an exciting uh, prospect. So, so check out Terra onion. Um, I think they're supposed to be shipping in June. You can pre-order them now. Obviously they'll make them based upon the amount of pre-orders they get. So it's not like they're going to sell out as long as you get it ahead of time. I know I was just talking about how, you know, don't pre-order, uh, but the, the release time for this, I mean, this is such a basic thing. This is like, like on Kickstarter, right? On Kickstarter, if somebody's selling a board game, you know, like they're doing a Kickstarter for a board game, that's a pretty safe bet to do a Kickstarter for because there's whole companies that churn these fucking things out, right? That people will do Kickstarters for. They just come up with the rules and the design of the game overall. Um, there's some things that you can kind of count on and Terra onion. I mean, if they don't do this, they are dealing with, I, I've, I've said this for years, the gaming crowd, PC gaming or otherwise. I mean, this is the most hardcore fucking fan base you're ever going to deal with in your life. And you piss them off, <laughs> you're in trouble. You're, I mean, you're just, you're not going to do business again. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have confidence that this is a product that's going to come out uh, and I'm excited for it because this means that I don't have to wait for Sega to come out with the Sega Saturn mini, right? Which is really the whole thing I wanted them to come out with. And, and we really, we got to think about this too. We're, we're going to get to the climax. Don't worry. Um, we, <sighs> This notion that, well, if you want the rest, like say, say a game gets re-released. Okay. If you want the rest of the games in a series, like say you buy Sonic two and you want Sonic three to get re-released, even though those have all been re-released a million times, for example, well, you're going to have to show us you want Sonic three by buying Sonic two. Wait, what? No, no jackass. Give me Sonic three. Why do I have to give you money? It's like, you have to pay double for the game you actually want. I've even made that argument in the past before of like voting with your dollar. I'm not going to recommend that argument anymore. I think that argument, I, th I sit down and I think about that and it's like, no, that's, that's bullshit. You're not that, that that's, that's manipulation. Like you're not going to trick me with that kind of, that kind of crap. Uh, you either make the game that I want, or I'm not going to buy the shit that we're supposed to like somehow buy as scraps to beg for the game that actually matters. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So anyway, all right, that we'll wrap up the gaming grid uh, with this. And I mean, really, really cool stuff to check out. I mentioned Streets of Rage 4 uh, earlier. That looks amazing. I'm going to do a review of that in the future. Uh, you got the Terror Onion. You've got the, the you know, the, the, the FPGA board for emulating Saturn and Dreamcast. I mean, there's just tons of great stuff. And get your 2FA set up on your Nintendo. <laughs> I'll be right Game back with over. more software. The most incredible television event ever, as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. I have led the entire human race to ruin. The last of mankind, fighting for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. 
There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack begin. A new age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Album of the Week. Time for Album of the Week, and we're going to make this a quick one. Um, this is one that, this is one of those rare situations where I feel like this company, Rock Candy is the name of the company. Okay. And they, I mean, they, I think they put out some new music uh, from, from other artists, but their main shtick, and I could be wrong about even that, but their main shtick and what I know them for is they do uh, remasters and what they call reloading, where they add in extra tracks and everything of classic rock albums. Okay. And, uh, and you know, some metal and some other things like that. Uh, they, they do tremendous work. Uh, I, I mean, basically just about anything they'd put out, I would listen to, uh, cause you know, they put out music that's in my brand. Um, and recently they put out an album, uh, that's it's a self-titled by Tane Kane. And I think that's how you say her name is Tane. Tane Kane. This album is actually pretty infamous because it was finished in 1982. I mean, polished. She worked with the guys from journey. I mean, it, like it's, it's a polished piece of AOR great, you know, female led melodic rock. It's really cool. I love it. The first song temptation, very sexy. And, you know, it had been out there as a bootleg by varying companies or, you know, not companies, but varying people, you know, you can get them at, uh, boy, remember record shows? Anyway, <laughs> you still get bootlegs and everything uh, of this, but they finally gave it an official release. Now, I don't even know if Tane Kane is still alive. I don't know if she's making any money off of this affair, um, but it's a dynamite album. I mean, it sounds like it's from 1982, but it's definitely a very rich sound. And I think Tane Kane has a tremendous voice. The guitars in the background are just, I mean, they're very, very rich, very full. Uh, I love it. I, I, if you're into AOR, you know, or just melodic rock in general, you are in for a real treat with this. And I'm just so glad that it finally got an official release. And I can't imagine, like, I think rock candy is just like, well, we got rights to it. Let's put it out there. People will buy it. You know, <laughs> it's not one of those scenarios like we were just talking about. It's like, well, you're going to have to buy this album if you want to get the one from Tane Kane. No, Rock Candy's like, all right, yeah, we got it. Let's put it through the mastering process. Let's put it out there, limited print. Great. That's awesome. It's a fine way to do business. I love what Rock Candy does. And uh, and this is a real, real treat of an album. So check it out. Tane Kane by Tane Kane from 1982. You're going to love it. I'll be right back with more. Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. 
Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup. And it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. Boy, talk about sexy. Day of the Triffids. No. <laughs> I was really meaning the music there. But no, uh, or but yes. Uh, Day of the Triffids. We are going to talk about it. That is uh, for the climax this week. And I, you know, I saw uh, when I was a kid, because a movie of Day of the Triffids got made in the 60s. This is a classic science fiction novel by John Wyndham, uh, considered one of the greatest English science fiction authors of all time. Uh, He's had other books over time. But Day of the Triffids is definitely the one he's most known for. Originally came out in 1951. Um, there have been other movie versions of this made, particularly in Britain. In fact, I think there was a miniseries that was made in 2009. I haven't checked it out yet, but I'm interested in doing so. And this is, you know, your, I mean, very much your classic. In fact, one of the classic post-apocalyptic science fiction pieces of work. Um, what effectively happens is, is that there is this new creature that comes into being for whatever reason called a triffid, which is kind of like a plant with legs kind of, uh, and one night, you know, and, and, and it has a certain like oil that's that, that people want for varying triffid oil that they want for varying reasons. Anyway, we don't need to get into that, but basically after some years that triffids have been around, uh, there's this meteor shower that happens, uh, one night on earth and everybody on earth sees it or almost everybody. Anybody that saw this meteor meteor shower with all these green lights in the sky, the next day they wake up and they're blind. Now, if you didn't see it, you're not blind after the fact. Okay. And this is where the, you know, post-apocalyptic part comes in because what if nobody can see, like we were saying earlier, vision is so important or, you know, that, that, that perception for us is, or that, that, that sensory perception for us is so important as humans. What happens when we lose it? Well, day of the Triffids explores that. And you can't call it your average post-apocalyptic schlock because it's one of the, you know, original works uh, in the genre. It is a work that, I mean, part of what inspired me to read it admittedly was COVID-19 because I do feel that this is hammering home. Not that we have to be so negative about this in our, in our personal lives, but I do feel like it's, it was very much hammering home how we do live in a dystopia. Now I believe that long before COVID-19 happened, but it was certainly driving the point home. And so reading post-apocalyptic works, especially ones where humanity is trying to survive after the fall of civilization, you can see where that would sort of fit the bill of interest uh, today, as far as content goes. And I have to admit, this is a pretty good book. Um, Again, I saw the movie when I was a little kid, never really read it to the point. I just, I like, I I didn't really dive deep on it. And so I finally decided to, uh, it's not, I mean, obviously I listened to it as an audio book. It's not a very long one. Um, and reading it, you know, it's not one of those books where you get a lot of practical knowledge and practical things to do 
after say civilization falls, like it doesn't go into that kind of depth, which I might've made it a little more interesting, but then even in the fifties, that would have been a very different, uh, or in many ways it would have been a different scenario. I mean, in, in, in some ways, but I have to give the book a lot of credit for a few different things. Um, it is, it, it espouses, uh, some pretty unconventional ways or non, yeah, unconventional ways of living. Um, it espouses, I mean, it does espouse polyamory. Uh, there are other aspects to it. I mean, in fact, there's a couple points where it, it's funny. It's almost, and I'm usually careful when I uh, attribute this to any work of fiction, but it's very, it's, it's almost an anarchistic book. It's almost an anarchist work because it speaks towards the end very highly of people that basically got together in some ways, kind of started their own tribes, did not want leaders at all. And in the book, the, you know, this like new military that starts to form around uh, the fall of civilization, they don't like that. And so like, it really is, it is a book that ultimately rips on, on government. Um, I was expecting the book to admittedly, you know, talk about sexy. I was expecting the book to be kind of sexy because I remember the movie being touted as very hedonistic. I didn't see that in the movie. And so I thought, well, maybe the book will be kind of hedonistic. No, not really. Not at all. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't get that, you know? So I, that was clearly marketing tactics on the part of the uh, movie studios at the time. So it's not a sexy book. Uh, as far as that goes, um, unless you're, you know, into being maybe the new Adam and Eve or something, which, hmm, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it is a book that has spawned sequels. Uh, in fact, there was night of the Triffids, which came out a few years ago. There's also age of the Triffids. Now, if I have any listeners in Canada or New Zealand, that's apparently the only place you can buy this book, uh, age of the Triffids. I would love to get my hands on a copy of this. So you can, uh, you can email me perhaps if you, if you're, you're interested in getting that book to me because I, I would get it professionally scanned and get it online. And then who gives a shit about copyright law? Woo. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, day of the Triffids. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a believable, uh, work of science fiction. Like it doesn't get fantastical at all. And I think that's part of its enduring appeal is that really anybody can read it. It doesn't get too far out. It's not a space Marine work by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, there's, you know, basically Marines in it, I guess. Um, but it gets at what I did really like about it is it gets at cutting away, you know, when the Triffids basically start to take over and, you know, when everybody goes blind, it does get at, okay, wait a minute. What is a byproduct of civilization and what part is actually being human? And it does explore that to some degree. And I thought that that was a very worthwhile thing for science fiction to do. And especially for it to really, in my opinion, come to anarchistic conclusions uh, within it, I think is very intellectually honest. The biggest negative for the book, in my opinion, is that it ends very strangely. Uh, it basically ends quickly with like a paragraph where the lead characters, uh, and there's only a couple of them, but the lead characters are creating a civilization, recreating a civilization that vows to take the earth back from the Triffids. This part I thought I was like, eh, you didn't really learn your lesson. Did you? 
you know, because like the whole book is exploring, Hey, maybe don't fuck with nature. Well, there's no, the one philosophical aspect that the book doesn't cover is, you know, what if this is kind of how, I mean, it does describe that humanity did this to itself or that there's a potential that humanity did this to itself, even though the Triffids might've been the catalyst. Uh, I think that's worthwhile to bring up, but there's no philosophical conversation around, you know, Hey, maybe it's the Triffids turn, right? Maybe it's their time to fly. And I thought that was disappointing. And to just end, like maybe John Wyndham planned on doing sequels for this. He had plenty of time. He wrote plenty of other books that were also post-apocalyptic, but he never went back to this. Uh, it just seemed weird that it ends with like a paragraph saying, and then humanity started another civilization uh, preparing for the day when they could take the earth back from the Triffids. It just, it came off as kind of anticlimactic and way too fast. So in that sense, it was sort of disappointing, but since it's a shorter book, I think it's an enjoyable read and I'd recommend checking it out. And I mean, it, it is one of the original post-apocalyptic works. And so, you know, it's worthwhile for that, uh, alone. Um, you know, if you're somebody that's easily depressed, maybe don't read it right now <laughs> during COVID-19. Uh, but you know, there's, there's a mindset that I think is worthwhile to glean from day of the Triffids based upon what we're going through right now in the world. So that's what inspired me to read it. That may be why I recommend you give it a listen, because as I've said on the show many times, it's the science fiction method, right? Science fiction allows us to theorize based upon the changes going on in our world. And so it is a worth, it is, it can be as worthwhile in my opinion, as the scientific method of getting at useful information. So give it a shot. Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. It's a classic from 1951. If you've never read it or if you read it a long time ago, give it a reread. Be, or like if you only saw the movie, oh, for fuck's sake, read the book. Because the movie's just, eh, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't do anything for you. So anyway, that's it for this episode of Sovereign Tech. Thank you to everybody that supports the show. Thank you to the sponsors, including, got to mention them out, Free Talk Live. I want you to go to freetalklive.com. Check them out. We appreciate them sponsoring Sovereign Tech, the number 26 talk show in the United States. Talk about everything we're talking about here, and they ain't going to censor you like, like Twitter does, baby. I guarantee you. So anyway, go check them out at freetalklive.com. Go to sovereigntech.com to listen to thousands of hours of newly available content. Go for it. I will see all of you on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech. An Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>